0: Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters Sports Bar will sponsor your next private event. Walters is located right across the street from the ballpark in Navy Yard.
1: Register at waltersdc.com and click the Inquire Now button.
2: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
3: at first and third the 2-1 swing a fly ball left field back on this one Dickerson to the warning track he's out of room at the wall and it's gone down into the Reds bullpen a three-run shot for Nick Senzel makes it five nothing Reds swing a fly ball to center field straight away and deep back on this one Hill to the warning track leaps at the wall and he can't get it it is gone second homer of the game for Jonathan India And each time the Nationals have scored, India has answered with a solo homer. It's now 7-2 Cincinnati, number 13 on the season for Jonathan India. Here's the pitch. Swing a fly ball, left field, down the line, chasing toward the corner, and foul ground is Steer. He's slowing near the line, and he makes the catch to retire the side. It stays in play, and Cruz is fired up about it. If ever you're disappointed about scoring two runs, this would be the case. The Nationals scored two and then left the bases loaded as there were nobody out.
0: And welcome to Nats Chat for Wednesday, July 5th, 2023, along with Massinsports.com. Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman was at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. We certainly hope that uh, you on your July 4th got your fill of fireworks, if that's your thing. But we do know this, if you were at the Nats' annual July 4th morning game, or just watched it on TV, you most certainly got your fill of bad defense by the Nats. An 8-4 loss to the Cincinnati Reds at Nationals Park on Tuesday in Game 2 of a four-game series. Nats fell to 34-51, and second-worst record in the National League. Yes, Patrick Corbin did struggle in this game, but so too did the Nats defense, including once again struggling to stop a team's running game. The Reds in this game officially 6-7 on stolen bases to say nothing of taking extra bases. Mark, we had a track meet by the Reds in this game on Tuesday.
1: Yeah, look, I don't know if that ultimately was the difference because, like you said, Patrick Corbin was not good. He gave up two homers. Corey Abbott gave up another homer. So maybe the outcome would still be the same. But watching that game, it was hard not to focus on anything other than what you just described. The Cincinnati Reds, a team that said they were going to be aggressive and has gone out and done that and been very successful at it, and a Nationals team that was helpless to stop them. Now, some of that is you you say you give credit to the Reds for what they do, but a lot of it You can point to the Nationals and say, they do not do anything close to a good enough job of trying to stop that kind of aggressiveness. And it's not just stolen bases. It's extra bases taken on base hits, on outs. It is plays just not made in the field, plays not made with urgency. And to me, it was so striking, the difference between these two teams. Remember, the Nationals came into the season saying, this is the style of baseball they wanted to play. And they have not come anywhere close to playing that style of baseball. So to actually see it taking place right in front of their eyes from a young, hungry, rebuilding team that is all of a sudden contending and in first place in the National League Central, to me, was really striking. And it shows you, you can talk all you want, but you need to go out there and actually show that you can play that style of baseball and prevent that style of baseball when it's being played against you.
0: Yeah. Talking about it is the easy part doing it is the actual hard part. The actual work is the hard part. And uh, that doesn't always come so easy. So, you know, you talk about a tone setter. The top of the first in this game was such a tone setter and such a tone setter in a negative way on what should have been such a great day. I mean, nice weather, this wonderful tradition, the Nats have the annual July 4th morning game, another healthy crowd, second consecutive game, 30,000 plus at Nationals Park. So Patrick Corbin was an ad starting pitcher. It's worth noting he just came off the bereavement list. He was on that from this past Friday until this past Monday. So, you know, I don't want to sit here and hammer Corbin. We don't know what he's necessarily going through, but he did struggle in this game. Six runs in five innings. He gave up 10 hits, two home runs, a double and seven singles, issued three walks and a hit by pitch, recorded just two strikeouts. He threw 93 pitches, 59 strikes versus 34 balls. But this top of the first was just maddening if you're a Nats fan. So Corbin in the top of the first allowed two runs on four consecutive one-out hits, but also was failed big time by his defense. Corbin gave up a one-out double by Matt McClain to left field. Corbin gave up a one-out opposite field RBI single by Jonathan India to right field for a 1-0 Reds lead. And McLean on this pitch was often running toward third base before Corbin even got into his delivery. Again, track meet by the Reds in this game. Corbin then gave up a one-out opposite field single by Ellie Dela Cruz to right field. And he then advanced to second base on a throw by right fielder Lane Thomas to third base. That was way off. And then came rock bottom for the Nats defensively in this inning. And maybe this season, I don't know. This was amateur hour. A one-out RBI single by Spencer Steer for a 2-0 Reds lead, despite Steer having been down at 1.02. So Corbin couldn't strike him out. But the RBI single was something. And in tight to the right shoulder. The pitch swung on, hit high in the air. Shallow left center field. Abrams going out. Dickerson coming in.
3: Abrams still back and the ball drops. No one calls for it unless Abrams did runner to third, safe, throw to second, and the batter steer in there safely at second base.
0: The single came on a fly ball to left center field that fell between the Nat's shortstop CJ Abrams, the Nat's center fielder Derek Hill, and the Nats left fielder Corey Dickerson. This was a Bermuda triangle single. And then we had this, the throw from Abrams to the infield went to third base, allowing Steer to advance to second base. There was a lot more to Corbin's outing. We'll get to that. But geez, that defense and that two-run first was abysmal.
1: Yeah, atrocious. And you can't let that happen against anybody, let alone a team that you know is going to take advantage of it the way that Cincinnati does. Now, on that pop-up play, the outfielders, as we've talked about, they play deep on this team. And so they were not in a great position to try to make the play. And yet that is a play that an outfielder has to make. CJ Abrams is going back on the ball. He's waiting to hear one of them call him off. Neither of them ever did. So he says, well, I guess I better go get it. And now he can't make the tough over the shoulder catch. Even if he catches the ball, would have been a great acrobatic play. He's in no position now to make a throw to the plate, which is what was required because there's a runner on third in that moment. So even more reason for an outfielder who's charging in to make that catch. And you might even prevent the run from scoring if you do that. So I don't know if it's on Hill or Dickerson. It's on both of them. One of them has got to step up and make that play and call for it. And again, I do not understand why this team insists on positioning its outfielders as deep as they are. They are playing as deep as anybody I've seen in the major leagues. And Maybe it helps them on drives to the warning track, but I feel like there's a lot of balls that fall in in front of them, and it's not just costing them one base, but often costing them multiple bases.
0: We are all taught in Little League. I mean, I was taught in CYO ball many years ago, right? On a play like that, the outfielder, the guy coming in is the guy who should take that fly ball. It's much easier to take the fly ball coming in than it is when you're going out, and With the center fielder, you are the patrolman. You are the captain of the outfield. You are the alpha. You need to take command in a spot like that. And for whatever reason, Hill did not do that. But it's not just the Derrick Hills and the Corey Dickersons who have done this this season. I mean, we had many instances of Victor Robles and Lane Thomas having miscommunications in the outfield earlier this season. This is strange how these Nats defenders aren't talking, aren't communicating. We so often are seeing post-play reactions in which guys are like saying, what happened? And throwing up their hands, things of that nature. I don't get that. Communication costs you nothing. Communication has nothing to do with skill level or whether you're a contending team or rebuilding team. Like, why don't these guys talk to each other? Why don't they pretend (laughs) that they like each other and their teammates and, you know, try to go back and forth with each other? It's very strange to me that this keeps happening.
1: And it has nothing to do with experience either. Like you just said, this is stuff you learn in Little League long before you're a professional. So it's not about, well, they haven't played together that long or some of them haven't been in the big leagues that long. No, this is fundamental, basic stuff that anybody who ever plays the outfield learns. And I agree, there's no excuse for it. And, you know, at some point, there has to be some ramifications for mistakes like this, right? And it doesn't feel like there are. There's another issue with Derek Hillen that he's not hitting at all. We discussed that the other night. I do wonder how short the leash is going to be there. Not that Alex Call is a tremendous upgrade, but we do know defensively Alex Call was outstanding and was providing at least a little bit more bat than Derek Hill. Maybe that is a move they're considering making at some point. But yeah, you're right. You need a center fielder who takes charge in all of these spots. And that's not something you just learn with major league experience. That's something that you know from the outset when you start playing baseball.
0: Yeah. The mentality of the center fielder defensively really has to be every fly ball is mine unless otherwise noted. You know what I mean? Like you have to have that mentality. You can't be sheepish. You can't be, well, I don't know, maybe he has it. Like you have to go after everything and then you back off and you say, all right, you know, that's Lane Thomas's ball or that is Corey Dickerson's ball. Yeah, that was rough. But like I said, Patrick Corbin in this game did struggle. Top of the third, he allowed three runs. A leadoff first pitch single by Ellie Dela Cruz to left center field. And then Dela Cruz on the very next pitch by Corbin stole second base. Again, track meet by the Reds. Corbin then issued a nine-pitch walk of Spencer Steer, then gave up a one-out three-run homer by Nick Senzel to left field for a 5 nothing Reds lead. And then Corbin in the top of the fourth allowed a run on a two-out solo homer by Jonathan India to center field for a 6-1 Reds lead. Boy, India is just killing the Nats in this series. And by the way, after giving up that homer, Corbin loaded the bases by allowing three consecutive Reds to reach base with two outs, although we did get Senzel to line out to Lane Thomas for the third out. Kind of a strange last few weeks here for Patrick Corbin. He had that terrible outing at the San Diego Padres, then had the excellent outing at the Seattle Mariners, and now on Tuesday was back to having a really rough outing in this game against the Reds.
1: Yeah, and that's why every time he does pitch well, we say to ourselves, don't get too caught up in that. That doesn't mean he's turned a corner. He has to prove this over a longer stretch of time. And unfortunately, Here lately, there has been more bad than good. Now, I mean, he's still doing better than he was last year, the year before, but not as much better as we maybe thought. You know, he had the ERA in the fours there for a while, but now it's back up to 513, which is not good. He's consistently giving up 10 plus hits in starts and not because he's going seven, eight, nine innings. He's going five or six innings and giving up double digit hits. Also walk three in this game, two home runs. I mean, there's not a lot you can point to from the start and say, well, Patrick Corbin did that well, didn't hold the runners on well either. So I get it. We know the bar is low, but you'd like to see at least when he has a good start that he can follow that up with something that resembles a quality start. Instead, reverts back into a form that is way too reminiscent of what we've seen the last few years.
0: There is a paint by numbers to basically every bad Patrick Corbin start these days. He gives up a lot of hits. He at some point is failed by his defense, but he doesn't have a lot of strikeouts. And so you end up saying, well, yeah, it wasn't all on him, but boy, he put so many balls in play. He didn't strike guys out. So you can only absolve him to a certain degree. And that's how it is. Like when you give up constant contact, You don't strike guys out. You put your defense to work. And this Nats defense isn't good enough to where it's just going to eat up a bunch of balls in play. Like things are going to happen that don't always go well. And that's what has happened. You know, we've wondered, like, why do Nats defensive mistakes always seem to happen when Patrick Corbin is pitching? I think the reason is that when Patrick Corbin is pitching, so many balls are in play. And so, like, you have more opportunity for things to go wrong defensively.
1: Yeah, you're right. When Mackenzie Gore pitches, there's a better chance of strikeouts and not balls in play. And I think also it's it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know you've struggled defensively for this guy. You know he gives up a lot of contact. Now you start thinking about it and you're trying to do more than you can and, you know, ends up hurting you. But I mean, there were even in this game non-errors that felt like errors. C.J. Abrams totally slipped on one ball that he was trying to field to score to single. Okay the lack of holding runners on, the allowing guys to take extra bases. It was just really, really ugly baseball. And, you know, I'm not saying this is the case, but like you took the field at 11.05 a.m. and it looked like they weren't ready to be there in a lot of ways, especially the way that first inning went. And, you know, look, you can complain, oh, hey, quick turnaround. They shouldn't have to do that. Well, you know what? The Reds faced the same turnaround, and they played a very crisp brand of baseball in this game. So I'm not giving them a free pass for that.
0: No, absolutely not. And you know, the Nats did battle to a degree as the game went on, but there's no doubt watching that first inning, I know I said to myself, Boy, do the Nats have a barbecue they're trying to get to here? Like they just did not look engaged at all. They didn't look like they wanted to be there. And uh obviously, uh there's no excuse for that. Nats bullpen in this eight four loss to the Reds on Tuesday. Two Nats relievers combined for two runs in four innings. Corey Abbott, two runs in three innings. He in the top of the six allowed a run on a leadoff homer. By Jonathan India to center field. Uh, we also saw Jose A. Ferrer in this game, scoreless top of the ninth, two strikeouts despite issuing two walks. It stood out to me, Abbott, three innings. We have not seen many instances of Nats relievers pitching multiple innings in games lately. Like, okay, like Kyle Finnegan, maybe an inning and a third, an inning and two thirds, but in terms of like a two or three inning outing by a Nats reliever, not a lot of that lately, even in some of these blowout games. So, you know, I guess from a bullpen conservation standpoint, it was good that you at least got three innings out of Corey Abbott.
1: Right. And I think ideally Davey wanted to be able to bring somebody else in, but to do that, he needed his lineup to score another couple of runs and make this game closer than that. And because they didn't, he stuck with Abbott, who, yeah, three innings, 46 pitches. All right, you know, good for him. He gave up two runs, and that those two runs are kind of costly because it would have been a much closer game if not for that. But with Thad Ward now, On the IL, Paolo Espino was here very briefly, but didn't stick. It kind of is Abbott as the only guy who they might do that with. Pretty much everybody else is two innings tops, if even that. So you use them, you better get those three innings and you better hope that they're quality innings because now you're probably not going to have them for another few days.
0: Yeah. And that's on Monday afternoon, put Thaddeus Ward on the 15-day injured list, retroactive to Sunday with right shoulder inflammation.
4: Hey Nat Chat listeners, the world's most comfortable pants are at Bird Dogs. If you go to birddogs.com, all one word, you can look at their various selection and see their soft, stretchy khakis that will last forever. Bird Dogs fit better than regular shorts they are made of a stiff, restricting cotton, and I believe it based upon customer reviews. Go to birddogs.com/pool and enter promo code pool for a free Yeti style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com/pool for a free Yeti-style tumbler. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise
0: you. Hey, guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Summer is here. The heat, the humidity, forcing your air conditioning unit into overdrive, leading to energy bills that are higher than Jane Wood's potential. (laughs) The solution, new windows, from my friends at Window Nation, which is offering a great deal. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two years, plus two free windows for every two windows that you buy. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com and tell WindowNation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the That's Chat podcast. Protect your home and increase the value of your home with great new windows from WindowNation, which does windows right. You know, the average installer from Window Nation has over 16 years of experience with over 20 thousand windows installed no money down no payments and no interest for two years plus two free windows for every two windows that you buy call 866 90 nation or visit windownation.com. that's 866 90 nation or window and make sure that you tell window nation that al galdi sent you
4: my wife is a big concert fan and i'm a bit of a newbie and don't know where to begin in terms of how to get concert tickets then I remembered about GameTime, the best place for last-minute ticket deals. Plenty of options on there, such as Luke Bryan, Trey Anastasio, and Chris Stapleton up in Baltimore. The options are endless. GameTime is the fastest and easiest way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. It's the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy, so you would know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Snag the tickets without the stress with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Now the kick in the pitch. Swing and a ground ball toward the hole and
3: through into left field. A base hit. Abrams around third coming home. The throw to the plate. Is up the line and not in time. Holding it first is Derek Hill with a ground ball single through the hole. Derek Hill gets the zero out of the RBI column. That's his first run batted in as a national. And this
0: is his 13th game played so far this season. it's now the Reds six and the Nationals two. The Nats' offense in the 3-2 loss on Monday evening, not good. The Nats' offense on Tuesday was better, but still not good enough. I mean, the Nats in this game actually got out-hit 16-7 and uh, not coincidentally got doubled up in terms of runs 8-4. The Nats for the game, the four runs, the seven hits, at least three of the hits were doubles, so that was good to see. And the Nats did draw four walks, three for 11 with runners in scoring position. It was nice to see C.J. Abrams have a good game offensively. We just don't see this often enough. I mean, he does this, and then it's like another three, four, five games until he does anything close to this again. But Abrams, in this game on Tuesday, two for three with a couple of doubles and a walk. He and the Nats, one run third, had a leadoff double off the right field wall. He and the Nats, one run fifth, a two out opposite field double to left field. And he, in the bottom of the ninth, drew a leadoff walk. So that was nice to see. We did see Lane Thomas have another productive game offensively. We obviously have gotten used to that Thomas in this game one for four with a double and an RBI sack fly. but you know the Nats in this game out Homer three nothing. It's just it's that lack of firepower that just continues to jump out. And so when you're down five nothing as the Nats were in this game, you know, it was five nothing going into the bottom of the third, you just said to yourself, all right, like here we are. uh yes, we have seen the Nats rally at times this season. But you know, if they're going to rally, it's probably going to have to be on the backs of you know about twenty-seven singles because that's you know, that's how they do their thing. Like they just don't have the firepower to mount big-time comebacks.
1: Right, and that was the problem. So let's look at the bottom of the sixth, and in that inning, it starts with five straight batters reaching base, but each of them reached one base at a time: walk, single, RBI single, RBI single, hit by pitch. So. You still need more to happen after all that to pull off a big rally. Now, they have the go-ahead run at the plate as the boys battled there. It's nobody out, bases loaded, and you're thinking, okay, here it is. Here's your shot. You're not facing the Reds' best relievers. You're kind of in the middle part of their bullpen. And this is why even though C.J. Abrams had a good day at the plate, two doubles, the walk, the sixth inning at bat, I think, sat with him more than anything because that was a strikeout with the bases loaded and a strikeout in which I think he only saw one, maybe two pitches in the strike zone. Certainly, strike three was not, and he admitted afterwards that he got kind of jumpy, was feeling it a little too much to try to come through in that spot. So he strikes out for the first out. Derek Hill, after that, credit to Derek Hill, got his first RBI as a national at last the previous inning in his 48th plate appearance since his promotion from A. but he comes up again the next inning. Now, bases loaded one out. He strikes out also on a pitch out of the strike zone. And then Lane Thomas hits a high fly ball down the left field line that's caught in foul territory. And so there goes your rally. Now, yeah, it's asking a lot for them to pull that off and come all the way back, but they did give themselves a chance. And if you don't convert, but you had good quality at bat, you say, okay, so what? But when you don't convert and you go strike out, strike out, both on pitches out of the zone and a high fly ball, and foul territory for the third out, that's a little tougher to
0: accept. We did see Joey Manessis in the number five spot for a second consecutive game. He went one for three. With an RBI single and a walk. You know, I was thinking about this prior to the game. So if you look at this Nats rebuild and you say to yourself, all right, starting pitching and position players, how are we feeling about each department going into the season? Going into the season, I I think you actually felt better about the position players than you did about the pitching because so many of the top prospects are position players. You have at the major league level, the likes of CJ Abrams and Kbert Ruiz and Luis Garcia. But yet as this season is going on, right, We're seeing Josiah Gray have the big step forward season. I think overall, Mackenzie Gore has been more good than bad. The Nats in their farm system have guys like Jackson Rutledge on the rise. Cole Henry maybe possibly is going to end up being just fine off his uh, TOS surgery. We'll see, but it looks like there actually is some reason for optimism with him. And, you know, especially if the Nats do draft Paul Skeens this Sunday night, I think you're gonna feel actually really good and really bullish about the Nats starting pitching moving forward. And I say that even with, you know, Cade Cavalli missing this season with Tommy John surgery, but you know, with Jake Irvin doing well over his last four starts, like you might actually have some youth and starting pitching depth with the Nats. But with the position players Boy is in a mixed bag this year. It is great to see James Wood doing as he is doing in a minor. Same thing with Brady House. But Robert Hassel III is having a tough season. Elijah Green is having a tough season at the major league level. C.J. Abrams is having a tough season. C.J. Ruiz is having a tough season, albeit with some bad luck. Luis Garcia is having a mixed season. It's so funny. In just a few months, you, you could argue that the view has switched to where you now actually have real reason to be optimistic about the starting pitching and real reason to have a lot of questions about the position players.
1: Yeah, I feel like as I'm looking big picture and the next few years of how this might play out, it feels like if they get good or if they get close to being contending team again, it's going to be on the strength of their rotation. Still a lot of things have to fall into place there, but you can see a path where that might happen. But it's probably not going to be a good offensive team for several more years. It's going to require Ruiz, Abrams, Garcia, some combination of them to really step up and show they are productive major league hitters. But more than that, it's going to require James Wood making it up here and being everything he's supposed to be, Brady House making it up here, being everything he's supposed to be, maybe somebody else from that system, and maybe somebody else who's not even here yet, either because they're going to be drafted or they're going to be acquired in a a trade or free agent signing. It's a little discouraging to think what does the opening day 2024 lineup look like? You can say, what's the 2024 rotation look like? And there's some reason to be excited about what that might be. But the lineup, it's a little tougher to think about that and say, okay, yeah, that's going to have the makings of a a quality lineup that's going to be appreciably better. Maybe it will be, but there's still a lot of things that we have to see at this level that we are just not seeing with any consistency yet.
0: Yeah, you and your mind can actually construct a realistic scenario by which next spring training, the Nats have some tough decisions to make in terms of their rotation. Like It's possible that a guy or maybe multiple guys who you look at as who could be good for you as a starting pitcher at the major league level, you have to cut or you you have to not have in your rotation. And that really was not something I think anyone was thinking or saying just a few months ago. So in that way, it, it's been a really nice season with the rebuild. But yeah, with the position players it has been rough. And you know so much focus is on who the Nats are going to get with the number two overall pick on Sunday night, and understandably so. But really, so much of this comes down to they need to start hitting on non-first round picks. And so to your point about guys who aren't in the organization yet, what happens in this upcoming draft, yes, number two overall pick, going to be a lot of pomp and circumstance with whoever the Nats take. But what matters, maybe as much as that, maybe even more than that, what happens in rounds two through X in terms of Who do the Nats get? Who are they developing? And a few years from now, do we look back on this draft and maybe other drafts as having been, you know, really good drafts for this team beyond whatever it did in the first round? I think that's what so much of this rebuild comes down to. The Nats have got to start getting more from these drafts. And we're not just talking about first round picks.
1: They haven't had a second round pick or lower really amount to, I forget what the numbers, but create more than like a handful of war for them in the big leagues in a long time. I'm going way back. I mean, their probably best second round pick in any kind of recent memory is Andrew Stevenson, who didn't amount to a whole lot. You know, you go way back to Danny Espinoza, Ian Desmond, those guys were third and fourth round picks for them. You really have to go a ways. Michael A. Taylor was lower like that, I think fifth round, if I remember right. So yeah, I mean, they've got the second pick of the first round of the draft, but they also have the second pick of the second round and the third round and so on and so forth. Those should still be potentially quality players who can end up making a difference for you at the big league level. Now, maybe they're not going to be superstars, but I think one of the issues this team has had here is they've done okay with having several star level players on their roster. What they've not always done a great job of is having good quality big leaguers, just everyday solid guys who hit you know, in the second half of a lineup who pitch at the back end for rotation, who are good, solid setup men in your bullpen. Most of the guys they've had in those roles have come from somewhere else, even in their best years. They have not been developed on their own. And think about some of the better organizations in baseball. Those are the kind of guys that they're constantly churning out from their system. There's always somebody else to call up. You know, yeah, it stinks that Victor Robles is hurt. But you know what would be nicer if they had somebody in their system, not a superstar, maybe not even a long-term big leaguer, but somebody else who was ready to step into that role and give it a shot and maybe become something for them. So that has been almost as big of a failure on an organizational level for close to a decade now as the lack of success with first-round picks and developing of their first-round picks.
0: When the Nats really got good in 2012, and I remember talking about this on the radio, the thing that really – I thought sounded the alarm bell that the Nats had gotten good was in that 2012 season, Ian Desmond missed a good chunk of time with injury. It was like an oblique or rib injury or something like that. And the Nats during the stretch without Desmond ended up having a really good record. Danny Espinosa filled in so well at shortstop. And the Nats did not miss a beat, missing a guy who at the time was a really key net, Ian Desmond. We kind of forget about that. And that depth That the Nats had in a guy like Danny Espinosa was like a flashing neon sign of this team is good and this team has depth. And to what you just said, that maybe is the ultimate indicator of how good a team is. Not, you know, do you have a superstar or do you have multiple superstars? You know, ask the Angels about having multiple superstars and what that means, but do you have depth? You know, when a guy goes down for a good chunk of time, do you do all right, maybe even do well? The Nats obviously are not at that point right now.
1: I'll take it a step further. That 2012 season, this is a great example of this. Yes, Espinosa stepped in at shortstop, but you know who else they had on that team that really they wound up being just as important over the course of that whole year because there were a lot of injuries to that team that year. Steve Lombardozzi, not a high round pick. He took over at second base. He played some left field for them that year. He had something like 400 plate appearances and was quality for them. Tyler Moore was not a high – draft pick he came up and he was very productive for them now you know these guys didn't have long significant careers, but at that point in time they were quality big leaguers on a winning team who stepped up when others were hurt. the third one was Roger Bernardina who again, perfect role probably a fourth outfielder, but he stepped up and played some center field for them when they needed that. who are those type of guys? right now. Maybe Lane Thomas is actually one of them and instead he's the star of this team. We don't really know what he's going to be, but who are those, especially those that are being developed from within? That's the mark of a good team when you have that kind of depth because nobody's going to make it through a season unscathed everybody's going to have injuries the teams that have the ability to overcome that ultimately are the best ones
0: you tell us what you think hit us up on twitter at nats underscore chat you can email the podcast natschatpodcast at gmail.com including if you would like to sponsor the show we'd love to have you on board hit up tim showber see what we can do for you that email address again natschatpodcast at gmail.com we have a new website we invite you to check out natschatpodcast.com at which you can listen to previous shows in their entirety and order a nats chat podcast t-shirt all Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the music of the Nats Chat Podcast. Check out his site, timnewmark.com. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast.
3: Third baseman Ellis way off the line to pitch. And Millis, a line drive up the middle and into center. Base hit, coming on the score from third, Blankenhorn. Second straight game with an RBI single for Millis, and it's 4-1 Iron Pigs.